Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to talk to a new friend today that a mutual friend hooked me up with to talk to, and I'm talking to the man Jeremy Stallnecker today. Jeremy, how you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely, absolutely. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then got a lot of good stuff that we're going to talk about today, and I think it's going to be really helpful. So let's go to the Lord. Beautiful. Father, we just thank you, thank you for this time. I thank you that we can properly use, use technology and we can use it in such a way that helps people. I thank you for Jeremy and all that you're doing in his life. And I'm excited just to learn from him and to hear from him all that you're doing in, in, in and through his life. And I pray this would be a resource and a help to the pastors and anybody else that's listening in. I trust God that you're going to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Jeremy, for those that don't know you, and I'm kind of amongst that crowd, would you go ahead and just bring us up to speed, tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us about your family, and then what it is that you do? Sure. My uh, So I'll start from where I am and work backwards. Currently, I am the uh, CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. We are a faith-based nonprofit that works primarily with veterans, active duty service members, and first responders. Uh, we deal with a lot of different things, but the core of what we deal with and talk about is trauma. So, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it was combat trauma for veterans coming out of the military. There's still a lot of combat trauma that we talk about, but, but trauma isn't, you know, reserved for those who have been in combat or those who have been in the military. And so we deal with trauma, life trauma, uh, trauma related to combat, trauma related to even prior to those who have gone into the military. So a lot of it's childhood trauma, childhood sexual trauma and abuse and those kind of things. Wow. So that's what we deal with. And, and uh, with those three categories of folks, veterans, active duty service members, and first responders, we have programs across the country. And I could talk more about that, but that's what I'm doing right now. So that's, that's what I'm involved in. Uh, my background, though, I did serve in the United States Marine Corps. I was part of um, the initial movement into Iraq in 2003. Wow. Uh, coming out of college, I went into the Marine Corps and did that. Uh, it, kind of a funny aside that your audience specifically would understand. I grew up in a pastor's home um, and, and I always joke that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home is that you don't want to be a pastor. That's the, that's the one big <laughs> lesson you learned, right? I don't ever want to do that. Um, and uh, I love my dad, my, my mom and the work that they did certainly in ministry. Um, but being a kid as they were starting a church, man, just it's, it's overwhelming and yeah. uh, it's all the time. And, what I learned from that was a deep love for God and his work and his people. Mm. Uh, but I also learned that it's a lot of work. And so God worked in my heart, went into the military. Um, but having said that, I ended up, my wife and I, in a great church here in Southern California while I was in the Marine Corps. And um, man, God used that time in, in that church, watching that ministry grow and all the good things that were happening there to move our hearts. And uh, left the Marine Corps, went into uh, vocational ministry. I served as an associate pastor for five years okay. at a church here in Southern California. And then uh, for seven years, I was a senior pastor of a church up in the San Francisco area. And, uh, you know, just a lot of things that God did in my life during all of that. Um, and then the last transition, at least up to this point, was from pastoral ministry into what we're doing now. And there's a lot of crossover, of course. And so... Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the work history. My family, I have a, a daughter who's 21, a son who's 19, another daughter who's 12, and another son who's 11. So uh, we're kind of all over the map, but uh, it's been great. And I've got some great kids and a wonderful wife and very 
thankful for the opportunity now, you know, looking back saying, I don't ever want to be in ministry. I'm so thankful for the opportunity <laughs> to serve with my family in ministry, uh, as difficult as it can be. Man, that's so cool. And th- thank you for your service. Appreciate that. And, oh, yeah, of course. And that experience that you've had in the military, I'm sure, was helpful in, in helping with, with those who've experienced trauma. And man, it's a lot of, lot, of, lot of good work. And so now you've done ministry in the Bible Belt in California. Uh, <laughs> and it's, and some, uh, we do real <laughs> ministry here in California. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, has it been, um, I mean, have you thought through a lot, of, like a lot of people are thinking through about, this is kind of a sidebar here, but have you thought about, um, moving on from California, are you digging roots and staying there? I mean, is that, is that your, is that your plan? Yeah. So, so a couple things there. One, I grew up in California. I grew up yeah. here in Southern California. Um, so my family is here, which is a big yeah. part of, you know, us being here. My parents are about 25 minutes away from us. My wife's parents are, you know, about the same. Uh, my sisters are here. My wife's uh, brother and sister are here as well. So we have a lot of family around us, which is awesome. But, um, you know, I'll tell you, I think about this all the time. I believe in, in missions work. I believe in church planting missionaries and folks who, you know, go to, we talk about the 1040 window. That's what we're talking about right now. And people in, in these oppressed countries and these closed countries, we talk about the revivals that are happening in places like China and all these wonderful things that are happening around the world. And uh, I do find it a bit ironic. Sometimes we're here in the United States. We say, I need to get away from all the bad stuff and it's oppressive. And um, I'll tell you, we're part of a great church. We're in a network of great churches here in, uh, in California. And uh, in spite of all of it, I think God does a good work and yeah. we've had opportunities. So um, I'm willing to move if God moves us, but I'm very grateful to be here as well. And yeah. uh, not to mention we have access to the beach and I love, you know, getting the water. So uh, a cool. lot of good things here in California. Very cool. Yeah. When you, yeah. you don't have to grow roots when you have roots there and we're in sure. Illinois, yeah. so we're, we're in a state that a lot of people yeah. are leaving right now. We're in the southern yeah. part of Illinois, so it's five hours south of Chicago, but we've made the commitment. We're here, and uh, this is kind of yeah. the same thing, born and raised, and this is just where we're at. Um, well, well, you've got a lot of experience that I think our, my listeners are going to enjoy from and glean from, and, and there's three big ideas, really, that I want to talk to you today about, Jeremy, uh, and we've, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but... Um, I would love for you to speak to uh, somebody who's dealt with trauma, somebody who's dealt with a lot of uh, people who have struggled and, and had to, to really get through a lot of adversity and find hope in adversity. There's a lot of pastors that have been shepherding people who, who have lost their jobs, not really primarily because of COVID, but because of government lockdowns and this, this response that, that local, state, and national governments have, have put upon small business owners and just across the board. And so pastors really have uh, in a lot of ways, had it a lot of easy, a lot easier than our our people. Uh, but what we've had to do is shepherd our people, and and I've seen a lot, so many sure. pastors that that have martyr complexes and and cry and complain about about certain things. And in a lot of the the ministry that I'm doing now with this with this ministry is it's a pastor courage ministry, really wanting to shake guys into reality and say, hey man, step up, you know, get get some backbone, sure. get some courage, and love your people through 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 their difficulty. Uh, and stop complaining about yours. Certainly there's things that are, are hard in ministry, but would you speak to um, just how is it that you coach people to, to find hope through adversity with, with what you do in particular? Yep. Um, so I'll start big and kind of bring it in a little more micro as we, we talk about this, but our organization specifically, how do we deal with that? And we have men and women who are coming from various backgrounds. Again, many of them have dealt with childhood trauma, uh, whether it's abuse, a lot of sexual abuse, then they come into the military and either because of the circumstances in the military or combat, whatever the case, they're dealing with trauma. Um, 
the Veterans Administration doesn't do a great job helping them deal with that trauma. Uh, and, and primarily the treatment is medication. So we're going to medicate. Mm -hmm. You feel suicidal, we'll give you medication for that. Depression, we'll give you medication for that. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to have men and women attend our program who are on more than 20 medications a day. Oh, so uh, this is the path. Um, now, I believe medication can be helpful in its place, but that's certainly not the solution. It's not the answer. Right. As a Christian, we believe that the answer is found in Christ. So again, I could, I could spend all day just talking about how God has kind of created the organization that we're a part of and how he's, he's allowed us to have access to the folks that we have. Um, but early on, we started with veterans. Those are people out of the military. God gave us favor, and now we serve many thousands of folks in the military, active duty service members that come to us on orders because they're failing to find help in other places. So the question is, what do we do? Mm -hmm. When someone comes to our program, we are very upfront with them that we are a faith-based organization, which, you know, outside of church world, that just kind of means you believe in God. Um, we try to bring it in a little bit closer and say, what that means is we believe that there is God, that he is, that he is the creator. And that if he is the creator, then there is a design to creation. Mm -hmm. And if the real problem in your life is not what's happened to you, it's the fact that you're not living your life aligned to the purpose for which you were created. Hmm. Now, um, that may be that a person doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Most of the folks who attend our program, even though it's faith-based, um, don't know either what that means or care because yeah. they just need help. Mm -hmm. So they end up in one of our programs. We pay for everything. We pay for travel. We make it accessible. So they end up in our program. They say, I don't know who God is. I don't believe in God. I don't care about God. I hate God. You know, I have an experience with God 30 years ago, all over the spectrum. And what we ask them to do is to spend a week with us and contrast the life they're living with the life we're going to present to them, a life uh, yielded to God or given to the purpose for which God created them. Mm -hmm. And the big picture, the big idea is when you start to focus on God, who he is, his plan for your life, and you're asking the question every day, what would God have me to do in my marriage? What would God have me to do in whatever situation I'm dealing with? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's the very basic and it seems so simplistic, but it's putting one foot in front of the other. Your word is a light. It's a lamp. It will show me the direction forward. Mm -hmm. um, it's Hebrews chapter 12, um, you know, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah. It's understanding who we are in him. Romans chapter eight, we are in Christ and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When our focus is on who we are in Christ, that God has a plan for our lives and we align our lives to that. It's crazy that the traumas of life, although they're still there, mm -hmm. there's still memories, there's still things we have to deal with, of course. Sometimes there's a fallout from different decisions that are made along the way. Mm -hmm. um, when we're walking the path that God has set in front of us, those things are still there, but they no longer have a hold on our lives. Yeah, that's good. And, and this, is, this is the big point. And again, it seems so simplistic, but I, I, I've witnessed you know, thousands of men and women who have come through a program saying, I don't believe in God on Monday, saying I'm going to live for God on Friday and going home and trying to put the principles that we teach uh, in application to their lives. And it's not that they've you know, gotten over it. You're not going to tell someone to get over it or forgotten. Um, it's not that the pain always goes away or that there isn't a lot of uh, hurt to forgive. Mm -hmm. It's that they're walking toward the author and finisher of their faith. And it's good. Um, and doing that allows us to move forward. So that's, that's very big, obviously. Right. Um, I think for pastors, um, we have to get out of the mindset that um, 
my trauma is worse than your trauma. Um, you've been diagnosed and you haven't. I think labels are helpful only as they create a bridge to healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, whether it's in a counseling situ- situation or in a more clinical situation, uh, sometimes we say, well, you've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. You have yeah. trauma in your life or uh, you lost a child. That's traumatic. You were abused as a child. That's traumatic. You lost your job. That's bad, but that's not as traumatic. Uh, the best definition probably I've ever heard of trauma is an event or series of events that pushes a person beyond their ability to cope. Mm, that's good. It's not clinical. I can't show you a verse, Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but what are we as pastors and ministers working with? Mm-hmm. We're working with men and women of various backgrounds who have different traumas in their lives. Sometimes they even, you know, they say this is the problem when it's something much deeper, Yeah. but something has happened to them that has pushed them beyond their ability to cope. That's what we're dealing with. And that's what we need to deal with. Yeah. And once we find that, then we can move forward. Well, Jeremy, I've been around, uh, just the mental health world for several years. My father has dealt with mental health over the years and yeah. has been in and out of facilities. And we've seen medications and promises of new therapists and, and been through the ringer with that. And I worked as a biblical counselor at a counseling center for a year as well, not as a mental health professional, but as a, as a biblical counselor, but still dealt with yeah. a, a good amount of, of mental health and had to try to navigate what do I what do I do and what do I pass off and, and how do I help in this situation when I really don't have the tools to be able to do this. Uh, um, And pastors, I think, find themselves in situations, I'm sure you did, where uh, you don't want to outsource pastoral care. You don't want to outsource the the man, uh, um, the man or husband and wife even sitting in your office and, and, and you're, you're not knowing, okay, well, God, I need wisdom here because I don't exactly know what to do here. Or the man who's, who's been in this traumatic situation. How do you know, how does the average pastor know when do I, I I don't want to outsource pastoral care, but how do I know when I need to have this person and and, and encourage this person to go get some sort of professional help beyond sitting in here and and going through the Bible and praying together? That's a great question. And um, that's a question I actually get asked quite a bit is from a pastor saying, you know, there's a man or woman who's dealing with this. I have no idea how to help them. Uh, What do I do? I'll tell you, that we work with a large network of ACBC counselors, biblical counselors uh, who are well-trained. In fact, our aftercare program really is us referencing or resourcing people to qualified biblical counselors who understand how to deal with sexual trauma, how to deal with uh, severe marriage dysfunction, how to deal with these things. Not every pastor, not every minister is equipped to do that. And that's okay. I'll say, first of all, though, (laughs) that if the Bible is sufficient, and I believe it is, then the same way you would counsel another person in your church using scripture Mm -hmm. is the way you would counsel anyone else. So, uh, you know, a lot of times veterans, we say, well, they were in the military. I have no idea. I I don't share that experience. I have no idea how to help them. But the reality is what they're dealing with may have been caused by something you're not familiar with. Mm Mm-hmm. But the, the identity issues they're struggling with, the abuse of substances or something else illicit in their lives, mm-hmm. um, the behavior in their marriage, these are all things that you can address from Scripture. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, you have everything you need <laughs> uh, in the Word of God to rightly divide that Word of truth and help someone move forward. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this, though, having come from a, a pastoral background. I think one of the mistakes I made as a pastor, and, and you know, there are a lot, <laughs> but one of the mistakes I made as a pastor was believing I had to have the answer to everyone's question, everyone's mm. problem. 
uh, I was a senior pastor. So senior pastor, we use that term at 33 years old. Uh, I took, took a church that was, was hurting. Uh, there was a lot of brokenness. I, I was new to this. I don't have a, I don't have even have a seminary background. I, you know, I read a lot and uh, ask a lot of questions and I was trained kind of on the job, uh-huh. but I felt like because I was the pastor, I had to have the answer to every question. Um, I think a pastor in pastoral care gives hope, points to Christ, points to the word of God as sufficient. Um, I'll tell you, I, I have learned that my counseling sessions start off with, are you reading the Bible every day? Are you in prayer every day? Are you mm. in fellowship? Yeah. And if the answer is no to any one of those things, that's where we have to start. Mm-hmm. But I can also acknowledge that there are just some issues I either don't have the time uh, to deal with or uh, the resources to deal with. I, I, I don't know exactly how to walk you through that. Mm-hmm. And so a pastor needs to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, address the, the issue in front of them, kind of the presenting problem with Scripture, yeah. give hope, point to Christ, let's get beyond the immediate crisis, mm-hmm. and then make sure that that person uh, is able to get to a counselor. Some folks don't like the idea of having a counselor on staff of a church or something like that. Um, but I think having a qualified person, someone who spends their life thinking about these things and learning how to apply scripture to these problems is, uh, is a tremendous asset. And I don't think the pastor has to feel the pressure of I've got to counsel every person and know the answer yeah. to every question because they just don't. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's helpful. And I think, you know, there's a big discussion in either Christian psychology world or the new counseling world. And, and there's kind of the, the caricatures of both sides. And one of the things that I've, I've learned, even just with my dad, is you, you have to have this, if there's one side denying the sufficiency of scripture, then that's a, a massive issue. It's a massive problem. Yes. And if the other side is saying there's nothing like mental disorders and there's nothing like chemical imbalances, right. there's nothing like right. uh, a trauma that's debilitating, well, then that's a, a massive problem as well. And so usually if you can yeah. walk with wisdom in that, you can help people. Can you go back to your definition of trauma? Because it sounds to me, uh, go back to that definition of trauma real quick, because I wanted to jump in and jump in on that. Yeah. Well, sure. And this is, this is my definition and it's just, you know, studying and asking questions. There is a clinical definition of trauma. This is not it. Right. <laughs> but when I'm trying to help, when I'm trying to help people, the, the definition I use is an event or series of events that pushes an individual beyond their ability to cope. Yeah. Okay. It, whatever the event is, whatever the series of events is, if it's pushed you beyond your ability to, to make sound decisions and move forward in a positive way, that's a traumatic event. Yeah. And so in pastoral counseling and care, if you can get them to the point where they've got the tools to be able to cope, where they're able to yes. you know, get that identity that you talked about, uh, understand what the scriptures are saying and what, what God calls them to, who they are in Christ, those sorts of things can get them to the point where maybe they don't have all the, the trauma dealt with and, and maybe they're not completely walking and healing, but, uh, but they, they're able to cope. They're able to move forward and, and do what God's called right. them to do. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, very good. Absolutely. Um, well, hey, let's switch, switch gears a little bit. And, and you know, sure. you've, as you've said, you've, you've, we've already seen that you've kind of had a lot of irons and a lot of fires. And, uh, you know, pastoral ministry is, is so unique. You're dealing with things like we're just now talking about. But also, more and more, I think, even into the future, pastors are going to be bivocational and, like myself, trivocational. And they're going to do whatever they've got to do to provide for their families and build for the future. And I've got plans to be financially able to transition. I'm 37. I've got to be, in my, uh, be able to transition from my church and my role when I'm in my mid-50s, not my mid-60s, based on the next generation of young men that are growing up in the church and several different factors. And so I'm trying to build and, and, and do some things that's going to make me uh, able to do that when I'm in my fifties. Um, w- would you talk a little bit about um, just some business principle um, uh, 
uh, things that could be helpful for guys that are thinking about possibly even starting a new work or get some, getting some sort of bivocational work or starting a small business on the side or just doing something like that to be able to bring in some extra revenue? What are some kind of big ideas of business principles that are really applicable and may even be applicable in pastoral ministry that, that you have found helpful over the years? Yeah, I, I'll tell you some of this I, I learned the wrong way um, by doing it wrong. Um, so, you know, growing up in a pastor's home uh, back in the, the 80s and early 90s, there was this idea that if you start a church, it's a, it's a work that is entirely by faith, meaning you don't have to have support, you don't have to have money, you don't have to have <laughs> much of a plan, you just God's show up and start preaching, all. right? <laughs> right. It, it's all going to be great. And the crazy thing about it is, like, 1% <laughs> of people that did that, um, it actually worked out for him. And so everyone right. else was like, well, if God blesses, then if God's in it, then, you know, it'll, it'll all come together. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully we've, we've moved beyond that in, in a lot of ways. And I'm thankful that we have, uh, I think there is a difference just, just fundamentally between, um, you know, my calling, what God has placed on my life and even my ability to f- fulfill that calling. Okay. So God calls you, God leads you, I need to then, I'm responsible then to get myself into a position where I can fulfill that calling. I think sometimes we get that upside down. We say, well, I believe God wants me to start a church or God wants me to go into you know, ministry um, and he'll provide for me when I get there. I believe in the provision of God. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but <laughs> we have a responsibility to get ourselves in a financially viable position to do what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very, very important. A lot of small churches, a lot of uh, folks new to the ministry fail, um, not because they're not sincere or passionate or love Jesus or any of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just didn't do the work of preparing. We need to prepare. So the advice I'd give to anyone going into into full-time ministry, um, even if that's a bivocational situation, is make sure that you don't have debt. (laughs) Make sure that you have a financial plan and begin preparing for uh, your future. You have a responsibility to yourself. You have a responsibility to your spouse. You have a responsibility to your children to do all of those things. Um, And not only that, but you're going to be leading people that need to see these principles lived out. And so, uh, you know, on a very basic level, I think it's, it's really important that we get a hold of that. Um, You know, a lot of pastors don't have that background, the financial or business background. That's okay. Again, one of the mistakes I made going into full-time ministry uh, not full-time ministry even, but into pastoral ministry as a senior pastor was believing, you know, I've never really put together a budget. I don't really understand accounting. Uh, I don't really know how most of this works. My finances are a mess personally, mm. but I'll figure it out as I go. And then I am overwhelmed with the financial pressure of the church, the financial pressure of my family, and not able to focus fully on what God wants me to do. Um, <laughs> I, I think the Apostle Paul, you know, sold tents because it kept the, kept the pressure off of him financially. He could do what he needed to do. And so many pastors are under such weight that they put on themselves or allowed others to put on them that prevents them from being fully engaged in the work that God wants them to do. It's not fair to the people you're serving. Uh, I don't believe it's true to your calling, and it's certainly not helpful to your family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest issues that pastors get in trouble with. And, and so many pastors that were the baby boomer generation, I mean, they, they lived in parsonages. They didn't even have them. They didn't have any equity at all when they went into retirement. So not only did yeah. they not have, <clears throat> they weren't in a good spot financially, they literally just had to keep their jobs. And there's still many pastors like that now that are just continuing to have to preach until they die because they have no yeah. way to retire. And uh, I think, you know, young guys now, 
are doomed to make some of the same mistakes that, that the, you know, the guys that they look ahead of them and, and these old, a lot of the older pastors that they may even be frustrated with. And they're on the path to becoming like them if they don't get handles on some of this stuff. I, I think, you know, to that point too, one of the crazy things about this is I don't think anyone goes into, into ministry to, to make money. I, right. I, I know that's always the accusation. I, I don't know anyone personally who's done that. Somewhere along the way though, for some people that becomes the goal. I found a place where I can make money and I can, you know, benefit from this. Again, I don't think that's most people, that's some people. Mm-hmm. We have to be very careful though about viewing the ministry or the church as for us. And so often when I see pastors who, you, you know, they stay in the senior position too long mm-hmm. um, because they have to, and, and all those things you just described, really what we've done is we've taken the calling of God to serve people and we flipped it over and now we stay here and we're expecting these people to serve us. Uh, yeah. That's, that's not me being critical. It's just, we have to be very, very careful with understanding what the calling is. The mm-hmm. calling is God is going to use me, my talents, my resources, my abilities, my opportunities to minister to his people. Yeah, <laughs> and that's good. if there's anything that's really in my life that is preventing me from ministering to his people, I mean, it can be sin, you know, it can be looking at the wrong stuff on the internet, reading the wrong books, hanging out with the wrong people or mm-hmm. not being financially viable. If there's anything in the way of me doing what God wants me to do, what God's called me to do, then I need to eliminate those things, uh, get right with God where that's needed, and and really be in a position where I can serve God's people. Yeah, that's really helpful. It actually busts up a paradigm, I think, that's really prevalent in pastoral ministry. And the, and the idea, I think, in a lot of leadership circles within within Christianity can be uh, the pastor is the visionary and you just got to get everybody get, get behind the pastor to do what the pastor wants and get his vision to, to be, a, be a reality and miss the, the really uh, central um, understanding of leadership, which is we exist to serve people. We don't exist for congregations to serve what we want. I, I love definitions. And, um, you know, I wrote a book on, you know, pushing through trauma and that's called March or Die. I wrote another book on leadership a number of years ago and Hmm. you know, like we need one more book on leadership. Um, (laughs) But, but having grown up kind of with two paradigms of leadership, there was the, the ministry paradigm, uh, servant leadership, uh, you know, lead like Jesus, kind of that idea. Mm -hmm. And then there was the type a guy is the one who should be the leader, the guy who jumps up on the table and screams the loudest and says, follow me. So I had the military kind of leadership model. And then I had the ministry leadership model. Um, the military leadership model is just obnoxious, although it works, you know, when the bullets are flying, Mm -hmm. the ministry leadership model to me, as I really looked at it became almost, uh, manipulation Mm. with God attached to it. Right. I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do. Yeah. And the reason I'm telling you this is because God wanted me to tell you this. So, right. So if you don't follow me, it's really God you have a problem with. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I get that. God's man. I believe in the anointed of God. I believe in all of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. However, in that process, I wrote this book for myself and I came up with a definition for myself of leadership. Again, (laughs) there are a lot of definitions of leadership, but for me, leadership very simply is taking people from where they are to where they need to be. That's it. Yeah. And that applies in every situation of life. That means that you don't have to be type A. You don't even have to be positionally in charge. Uh, you don't have to have every resource available to you. But the resources that you do have, you are going to leverage for the benefit of the people in your life. You're going to move them from where they are right now to where they need to be. 
And as a pastor, I think that applies so clearly because my job is to rightly divide the word of truth, to preach and teach scripture in a way that those who I have the ability to influence, Mm -hmm. I can help them move from where they are to where they really need to be, where God wants them to be. And the thing absent from that definition is me. Now, I believe that God uses leaders to, to cast vision. I believe in all of that, but the leader has to be very careful and ask himself the question. Yeah. Uh, am I doing this because this is what I want? Mm-hmm. Or am I doing this because this really makes the people that God has given me responsibility for, the stewardship of, yeah. better, closer to him? That's um, good. And, and that's helped me so much in, in just every area of my life. That's and good. certainly in, in ministry. Yeah. You said, now, you said the book was March or Die? So, I, yeah, two books. I, I wrote uh, March or Die, and that deals with, really, it's me in Iraq and mm-hmm. uh, many of the lessons I learned in Iraq, but applying that to moving forward in our lives. When okay. we are faced with those overwhelming difficulties, how do we move forward? Um, and then, you know, the leadership book is called Leadership by Design. Um, we don't have to become leaders. We were all created to be leaders if we understand the right definition of leadership. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Jeremy, make sure that people have links to that. Um, let's uh, let's switch gears one more time. A lot of pastors, I mean, there's a reputation of uh, PKs. Uh, and one of the things that I've wanted to encourage pastors and have been for the last several years working with men has been, hey, listen, don't don't lose your family and uh, don't don't elevate your family uh, to a place that's unhealthy either. But uh, just be a Christian man. And you're you're a Christian, you're a husband and you're a father before you're a pastor and, and in that order. And so you, you want to be the best that you can be in all of those categories. And, um, and so if, if the pastor identity gets, you know, put in the first seat, then you've got problems all the way down in all of your life. You're going to, you're going right. to end up, it's, it's going to end up being consequential in a really, to a really negative degree in, in almost every area of life. If you don't crash, it, it will cause damage. Um, so you have to have that. You're a Christian first, like be a man of God. Yes. Um, you're a husband and you're a father. Most, most likely most pastors are. And then after that, you can even say you're a friend before you're, you're a pastor um, because you have to know how to deal with people and you have to know how to, uh, to love people, to be able to counsel them. And, and, and you have to have deep relationships to be able to, to model that to the congregation. And so, and then, and then you're a pastor. And so uh, part of pastoral ministry is raising godly children. You've been uh, the training ground. In fact, I've said of pastoral ministry is the home and that's, yeah. that's where you become a better pastor. So as you're becoming a better fa- husband and father, you're becoming a better pastor. And if you're not becoming a better husband and father, you're not becoming a better pastor. It doesn't matter if the church is growing. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you people are really pleased with you. Uh, you're just, you're just not becoming a better pastor. And so, sure. uh, you've, you've said you've raised four children now. Uh, you've got four kiddos and, uh, why don't you go ahead and just give us some principles and you've been in this work, you've been in, uh, doing so many different things, but you've raised a family. Um, what's been yeah. some of the most helpful things for you as you've been a father to your children? Right. Um, I'll tell you a couple things. One is, You can have multiple um, priorities in your life. You can, but you can only have one main priority in your life. And as someone in ministry, the main priority, if we're not careful, becomes the church over, and you you just said all of this, but over God, even over our relationship with God, over our families. So you can only have one priority in your life and you need to be very careful and very diligent about coming back to that again and again. Of all the priorities I have, of all the things I have to do, uh, what is my number one priority? My relationship with God should be number one. My relationship with my wife, number two. Uh, Leading my kids is number three. And then those other relationships that fall under that, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you probably the thing, the the single thing that has helped me more than anything leading my family, and I've done this wrong a lot, (laughs) um, 
and I'm not going to pretend like I've always gotten it right. My, my oldest is 21. I have an 11 year old. So we're still working through a lot of this life changes, situations change, circumstances change. You never feel like you've got it figured out. You're always <laughs> adjusting, but you need to stay in the game. Right. right. Um, and I think probably the single biggest thing that's helped me was the, the example of my dad. And I want that for my kids. My dad, when I was, um, I think I was 11 years old, moved us to a small town here in Southern California, Cowtown. I mean, dairies is what is out there um, and started a church. He worked on the church during the day. He worked a job all night. He slept, you know, three or four hours a night during the week. And when we were, we were in a public school uh, for one year, he didn't like that. So he pulled us out and he homeschooled us. My mom worked as well, but my dad didn't miss a baseball game. He didn't miss a, you know, an event as small as that event might've been. And I knew he had been up all night. I knew he was doing stuff with the church or would have a meeting later on with the church. Uh, but he was engaged in what we were doing. And I think when you're talking about the priorities in your life, you can't dismiss your number one priority because you're doing something else. Amen. Yeah. We have to be very, very diligent about that. So then the question is, I get this question actually a lot from military guys. Um, you say that my family should be, you know, there's God, there's my wife, there's my kids. My family should be my number two priority. If you're looking at my wife and my kids together, um, how can I do that? Because I have to train. I'm gone for weeks at a time or I'm on a deployment for months at a time. How do I do that? Being physically present is not the only way to let your children and your wife know that you care about them. Hmm. The bigger problem is when you are home and you're not present. Uh, that's good. Most of the time, our families understand I have a job. I need to make money. I need to provide for you. I need to do all of these things for ministers, for those in, in ministry. Um, our families can be proud of us for serving others, for preaching, for teaching, for caring. They, they get that. We think they don't get that. And then we get upset at them. They get that. What they don't get is that when you are home, you don't want to spend time with them. You don't want to care about the dumb stuff that kids care about. You don't want to be engaged in that stuff. Um, you're too tired to do this, or you're too tired to do that. Uh, the real problem is, is not what you're doing. I think we mm -hmm. make that the problem. That's yeah. not the problem. They get that. The problem is that we're not bringing them into that. We're not including them in that. And we're not fully engaged with them when we're there. Um, there are, you know, how many holidays have pastors had um, interrupted? That means the word ruined. Mm -hmm. It's not ruined, but interrupted <laughs> because someone in the church passed away or because there was a major mm -hmm. issue or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you're the pastor. You need to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But you need to tell your kids, I'm dealing with this. And when this is over, we're going to do whatever. Yeah. And then follow through on that. Um, if your kids, your wife, understand that that does not take the priority. It's just the most urgent at the moment. Mm -hmm. But you're going to spend time with them. You're going to invest in them. You'll be able to move forward. Um, I'm, again, this has changed so much for us. When my kids were littler, smaller. It was much easier. My kids have gotten older. And uh, I, I've just gotten involved in the activities they like. My son, who's 19, uh, started training jujitsu uh, mm -hmm. about eight years ago. Cool. Um, he loves it. That's what he wanted to do. That's where he was. So I started training with him. And it's not because I really even have a desire to do that. I have been doing it for a while now and uh, I do enjoy it now. But I, and there are so many other better things I could have done with my time. Uh, I like to read. I like to watch documentaries when I'm not, uh, you know, I'm like a really exciting guy, right? Um, but that's not where my kids were. When they were smaller, I would do other stuff with them. Um, you know, now I have the different ages. My daughter's older now. Uh, and so we, we do things like get coffee together and do those things. Uh, so, so the thing changes. 
but you need to be engaged in the thing, whatever that is, be where they are, um, spend time with them, care about what they care about, even if it's not super important to you. Yeah. And uh, just, just be with them, be engaged when you're around them and, and they get it, they get the rest of it. Yeah, man, that's good. That's really good. That just the idea of presence. I mean, anytime my wife and I have been in, in uh, a difficult situation because of ministry stuff, it's it's not because of the ministry stuff. It's because of that presence thing. Yeah. It's it's Jared. Why are you in the Why are you in the phone? Put the phone down. Uh, why are you looking at that? Why are you yeah. reading at that? Hey, come be present with us. I think that's that's a huge thing. Um, you know, Jeremy, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we could talk a lot more about a lot, a lot more things, uh, but I'm appreciative. I'm really appreciative of, of you making time to do this sure. today. Hey, I, I always ask the same question because I want to give you an opportunity to speak to God's grace. And it sounds like God has been incredibly gracious to you over your life. Yes, yes. And uh, it's, I, I just want to know, I'm just curious, you know, Jeremy, would, would you just tell us why, why do you love Jesus? Yeah. Um, well, probably the, the, the simplest answer is because he loves me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll tell you what's, as I've gotten older, as the world has changed, and, you know, even in this last year, my understanding of why I love Jesus, that the answer to that question, I think has deepened, it's become more real for me. Um, it's one thing to preach about these things. It's another thing to have a personal experience with them. But knowing that God is bigger than the world is bigger than the situation or the circumstance that I'm going through that I'm dealing with that in fact, he demonstrated his love to me so clearly that he sent his son Jesus to die in my place to pay the price for my sin. I've told people before, you know, you feel like no one loves you, but Jesus loves you. And they'll say, how can you say that? How can you know that? Yeah. Because Romans chapter five and verse eight tells me that while I was still a sinner, God introduced me to the love of his son, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus came and he died in my place on the cross. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me because of no value of my own. And he gives me purpose. He gives me hope. He gives me direction um, when everything else falls away. And it does. Uh, he's there. He's leading. He's guiding. And he's moving forward. Um, I, I don't know the alternative. And I, I've thought through this before. You know, you think about people that walk away from the faith and these, these phrases we use. I can't even get myself to the place where I could imagine doing that because of the love of Christ. Amen. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I, I really appreciate it, Jeremy. We, we've been talking to Jeremy Stelnecker. Uh, can you go ahead and just send us uh, a website or something if we want to check out more of what you're doing, all the work that you're yep. doing with, with trauma and even the, the books that you've written, just any websites or anything like that? Send people send people to a place that they can find you. Yeah, for sure. I'll give you two websites. One is uh, the organization that I work for. It's the Mighty Oaks Foundation. It's called mightyoaksprograms.org. Uh, That's the website, mightyoaksprograms.org. And then I have a blog that I write on and a lot of the resources that I produce are there. It's just my name, jeremystallnecker.com. It's pretty, pretty fancy. It's pretty creative. So just use my name, <laughs> jeremystallnecker.com. You can find that there. And then social media, I spend most of my social media time is on Instagram. I don't produce most of that content, but it's there. And it's a lot of the stuff that we're doing and videos that are made, you know, from various events and so forth. So yeah, I would love to connect with you. And if you know someone who needs help, please, have them reach out to us. We pay for the program. We pay for travel. There will be no cost to them uh, and we'll work out the details. So we'll make it happen. Fantastic. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit the shepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow the Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.